Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes. Hello and welcome. This is Daniel Bashir here with Skynet Today's Week in AI. This week, we'll look at a GPT-3 Reddit bot, a biased UK passport checker, deepfake actors, and industry's backing of academics. Our first story is relatively lighthearted. A bot powered by OpenAI's GPT-3 language model has been posting comments on Reddit for a week. Under the username The Gentle Meter, the bot has been interacting with users on Ask Reddit, a forum for a general chat. The MIT Technology Review reports that Reddit user Philip Winston noticed the bot's rapid posting of long, seemingly thoughtful comments. He then confirmed that the language from the bot matched the output of Philosopher AI, another GPT-3 powered tool. While the posts from the gentle meter were harmless, this incident does matter because it confirms concerns that even when access is given to a select number of individuals, technology like GPT-3 can be used for unintended and possibly harmful purposes. If our last story portends harmful uses of AI, this story demonstrates harm outright. We've already seen plenty of research showing that facial recognition doesn't work as well for dark-skinned women as it does for light-skinned men. The BBC reports that this bias is frustrating women with darker skin in the UK, who are more than twice as likely as light-skinned men to be told their photos fail UK passport rules when they submit them online. In particular, dark-skinned women are told their photos are of poor quality 22% of the time compared to 14% for light-skinned women. Dark-skinned men are told their photos are of poor quality 15% of the time compared to 9% for light-skinned men. Fortunately, having to jump through extra hoops to meet passport photo rules is one of the less troubling consequences of automated systems bias, but the story again shows the need to understand and address that bias before deploying systems into the real world. Meanwhile, deepfakes might just be changing how acting is done. A 2019 experiment by two multimedia artists attempted to create a video of Richard Nixon giving a speech he wrote, but never gave, complete with an actor. As the MIT Technology Review reports, deepfake casting and acting are much newer than deepfakes themselves. As deepfakes grow increasingly realistic, they're being used more and more in broadcast quality productions and ads, just as we saw in Hulu's deepfaked ad not long ago. Participating in these productions is an interesting and exciting prospect for actors, but also raises ethical questions. Many deepfakes, including actors, have already been made, but there are few rules about whose images and speech can be manipulated, and few protections for actors behind the scenes. Most professionalized deepfakes so far are protected under satire laws in the US, because they have been based on famous people and made with clear, constructive goals. There are many ethical issues to be considered as this develops, but many artists and filmmakers agree that deepfakes are here to stay. They believe that, used ethically, deepfakes can expand the possibilities of their art. Our final story today looks at the interaction between industry and academia. According to Wired, 
The study found that 58% of faculty at four prominent universities have received grants, fellowships, or other financial support from 14 tech firms. Mohammed Abdallah, the grad student who carried out the study, doesn't believe that any of the faculty are acting unethically, but that their funding could bias their work, even unconsciously. He suggests that universities introduce rules to raise awareness of conflicts of interest. The industry academia affiliation is nothing new. Companies have long backed important research, while faculty sometimes leave their universities for industry or work part-time in companies who have data and computing resources their schools can't match. Abdallah worries that industry funding might discourage researchers from pursuing certain projects or encourage them to agree with solutions from companies. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a bit of summary on last week's news, feel free to stick around for a bit more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. First, I'm Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as applying it to medicine. And with me is my co-host... Hello there, I'm Andrea Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning for robotics in my research. And listeners, once again, like last week, we had a bit of a slow week, so we're only going to be discussing three articles, but this time we might have a slightly more fun one to start with, which is titled, A GPT Freebot Posted Comments on Reddit for a Week and No One Noticed. And this was from the Technology Review. So you pretty much got the gist from the title there, GPT Freebot posted comments, and it was uh, only noticed after a little while, and people in the comments kind of freaked out. Uh, we were just looking over some of its comments, Sharon, and we were getting pretty impressed. It, it had some <laughs> pretty interesting things to say, and it was quite coherent. So I'm, I'm curious, yeah, does this change your view of GPT-3 or uh, kind of its impact? Yeah, I think I'm even more impressed by it, though at the same time, I will have to say Reddit is probably the best fertile ground for GPT to roam since uh, there's a lot of uh, vacuous posts there. And I feel like GPT uh, definitely is, seem to be at least the, uh, the few ones I looked at, um, uh, seem to... Uh, be uh, less toxic than um, than what I expected, though I think the article pointed out some of the slightly more touchy subjects that GPT did respond to. Yeah, I, I would also think that uh, this was made with uh, what's called philosopher AI, uh, which had its own tricks uh, in addition to just using GPT-3. So I believe that you know it was conditioned to act you know, a bit philosopher-like. It'd be fairly formal, be very grammatically correct. And that makes these replies read, you know, very well and then seem like they might be from a person. For some of the longer ones, I definitely did notice that as of, uh, happens often with GPT-3, kind of the threads of reasoning break down and, and sort of random stuff starts popping up. But other ones definitely were much more coherent and, and were pretty impressive. 
we can also just mention real quick the article uh, could be seen to confirm or actually says that this could be seen to confirm concerns that OpenAI raised about tools like GPT-3 being able to fake real comments or create fake news or create propaganda. So this is one of the first instances that we know of of a language model kind of acting anonymously on the internet without being uh, known for a while. There was a previous example where uh, GPT-3 was used to generate blog posts, and those got a lot of upvotes on Hacker News before people realized it was all a language model. So I guess interesting to see if this keeps happening and if we have many more puppet accounts being run by AI that people interact with without realizing they're not people. Certainly in that case, it would be useful to have better filters to avoid those situations. So on a less humorous note, the next article titled Live Facial Recognition is Tracking Kids Suspected of Being Criminals in Technology Review uh, has shown that uh, Argentina, it seems, has been uh, looking into tracking uh, kids um, who are suspected of being criminals. And that is quite concerning. Um, And... uh, They first began trialing this live facial recognition uh, in 2019, um, and this was implemented without any public consultation. And, of course, the system sparked immediate resistance, uh, which I think is probably expected. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I guess not... Nothing surprising when I say that this is bad. (laughs) Um, The article also notes that in addition to all the other things that are bad here, like facial recognition for tracking people in general, but also this is on kids, on which the system is extra likely to be inaccurate. So on top of everything else that's wrong here, it's just a bad idea because you're probably going to get a lot of false positives. And... um, yeah, this breaks international laws. Uh, this is really bad. In terms, of some of the kids here are it says four years old, three years old, something crazy like that. So uh, not not happy reading this. Uh, and I think this year we've seen a lot of articles about facial recognition, and this is just the latest, which is making me feel like it's going to be sort of the theme of a decade in AI to some extent of these systems being propagated everywhere and, and us having to really make an effort to make sure they don't become more of a thing here in the U.S., How about you, Sharon? Have you have you had sort of a growing set of feelings about facial recognition, seeing it so much in the news? Yeah, I have. What's actually interesting is I recently spoke with someone who was kind of trying to take the other side of the argument and be like, oh, I think like we know that this technology is going to be out there anyway, so we need to kind of de-bias it such that... Um, it, it won't be biased towards certain types of people. Um, and it was just interesting that they were very resigned to the fact that this was, uh, th- this is like the direction of things. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, we should be debiasing these systems. It was just really interesting because um, he mentioned that someone he spoke with who started a company in the space was working on debiasing these things, but didn't feel like this technology should be out there at all. And I, I don't know, I feel like I couldn't work on a company that was doing like a 
it almost feels like a lesser evil. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't agree with the overarching goal of the work. So um, I definitely see it being more and more prevalent. And I think like I've, I think the U.S. right now, we're definitely going through that moratorium um, with the help of uh, the BLM movement. But um, other countries and yeah, so I spoke with someone in the U.K. It, it's different, I think. Um, I think they don't look at it the same way as we do necessarily right now. Yeah, I also have your observations of uh, respect to AI. I feel, you know, I could potentially become AI developer in industry after my PhD. That's a possibility. And there are some applications where I would feel, you know, I would rather not do them, such as, yeah, facial recognition, uh, surveillance, uh, especially military. In my case, thinking about robotics, there are certain things where I would prefer to just avoid them and, and wait and see until we have more kind of ready laws and overall understanding and preparedness to be able to use them responsibly. I think it's better to not use them at all. But uh, I don't know, maybe in the UK, they're doing it correctly. Uh, hopefully that's the case and we can uh, see that in the future. Unlike this case in Argentina, where clearly these are not a good uh, application of the technology. And on to our last topic here from Wired. It's an article titled, Many Top AI Researchers Get Financial Backing from Big Tech, which no doubt Ian Sharon immediately feel is definitely true and we already are aware of. Uh, so the whole point of this article is really to dig a bit deeper and to discuss some of the statistics and, and to show this quantitatively. So uh, it's, it's based on a paper that highlights the number of top AI researchers who receive funding from tech companies like Google, DeepMind, Amazon, and Microsoft. So some of these numbers include things like um, those companies hiring 52 tenure-track professors uh, over the course of 14 years which is sort of what the brain drain is. Uh, many uh, professors leaving academia to go into industry. And then um, when you include everything, so appointments, internships, and sabbaticals, something crazy like 97% of faculty uh, in AI ethics work with uh, big companies. So yeah, not shocking by any uh, amount, but kind of interesting to see the numbers and that it's so big. Uh, is this kind of in accordance to what you might have expected, Sharon, or is this even beyond what you thought? It is beyond what I thought. I think that is a ridiculous number. I mean, having having an advisor who definitely is in that space um, or like on the industry side, uh, though I think it's different because it's not a large tech company he's a part of right now, though he has been in the past, um, several. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very stark number. Um, and I guess it does kind of bring to light uh, uh, the kind of influence that these companies might have and organizations might have on researchers and in, in defining what those directions should be. Uh, though I, I imagine it's also the culture of these places that would help direct that as well. Um, but both both like financial incentives and um 
uh, and uh, the culture, I think, would very much would very much dictate what kind of work would be done at these places. Um, and I think that could be very bad. Uh, that being said, I also see academia not necessarily being the more ethical one either. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it seems like a lot. So another number here was, uh, for 83 current faculty, they found that 58% of them or 48 received funding such as grant or fellowship from one of the big 14 technology companies. So pretty big numbers. Then again, I myself have done an internship at one of these companies at NVIDIA. And certainly a lot of people in my lab have interned in Google or at Facebook or DeepMind. And uh, we must acknowledge that these companies and the labs they run do really, really impactful and significant and good AI research. Like certainly NVIDIA, Google, Facebook, they publish a ton of papers that I read and I think are really good, uh, regardless of the larger kind of... Uh, uh, incentives of the company, the researchers they hire are top notch. And so it kind of makes a lot of sense to collaborate with them, to, to receive funding from them and so on as a researcher. So it's hard to say if we can really, you know, say this is bad. I don't, I don't know. Maybe if we saw more examples where funding, uh, actually skewed research and, and led to some research not being done, but for now, I will say it's not necessarily bad. It's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, is that sort of what you have in mind, Sharon? Or yeah, I, actually, I do really appreciate the fact that like uh, for a lot of these, um, in, uh, for a lot of these, um, they these companies they throw a lot of money at at this. Uh, so I'm grateful for that, I suppose, because I don't think I would have had that much money uh, to spend. I would love to <laughs> buy those many GPUs, but yeah, I think like that definitely helps show and push things forward. Um, I definitely think there is a little bit of politics in the space, uh, especially between institutions. I don't think academia is super in this, but like, I think I've heard that there's been stuff around Google suppressing open AI publications or something like that. I don't know. Or like, there's also the weird, stuff where like Google, NVIDIA and OpenAI, all these places can market their, their publications before they're even accepted. And like, it's weird to have like a marketing team behind your entire work. Um, so that's definitely interesting. Um, and, uh, definitely can skew things even beyond what researchers were hoping that it would, would do. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, those are some good notes as far as some of the negative aspects of uh, industry being so involved. And uh, that also reminds me, another one uh, that has annoyed me personally is some of these companies like DeepMind or OpenAI are not so into open source now. So they don't release necessarily the code to their projects usually, uh, or in some cases don't release even the data. So if you're losing researchers or researchers choose to go to these companies to do work, in some sense that is hurting academia, but is hurting research more broadly if their research is done uh, in a more closed fashion. Luckily, most of these other companies like Facebook, Microsoft, I think are, are more in line with the rest of academia so far. 
So I guess it's a question of whether we diverge and industry keeps getting sort of more PR based and more closed, or if it retains some of that academic uh, spirit, in which case it may not be so bad to have all that industry money <laughs> to work with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you, have you thought about going into industry, Andre? Um, I've definitely thought of it. Uh, I think a lot of the projects in industry are more collaborative or have pretty big teams, uh, more so than in academia. And having worked in industry before as a software engineer, sometimes I do miss that more kind of collaborative aspect and I don't know the, the calmness of a nine to five job uh, as opposed to kind of academia where it's sort of whenever to whenever so that you can do your research. So it's something I am I'm keeping an open mind uh, about for post PhD for sure. Awesome, awesome. I. Probably will not, <laughs> is, is my plan. Nor academia. Neither. Dun, dun, dun. You're done with all this AI. Oh, I guess you're going to be doing something with AI. To make yeah. sense not done. Startup-y stuff. Fun stuff. Fun stuff, uh, yeah. <laughs> and with that, we are going to wrap up our short episode this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Scandi Day's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and many more articles from last week and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with those articles at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be, Be sure, sure to, to tune in next week. week.